The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Arnaud, and welcome to part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories July podcast. This month we're talking about the big P word, parties! Nerds seem to have a special relationship with revelry, and it ended up being a great topic for our show. This episode, you can enjoy stories from Nerdalog cast member Steve Persh on why he didn't drink in college, writer Sarah Schieber on meeting author Neil Gaiman, comedian Sarah Happy's long and tawdry relationship with alcohol, film blogger Aaron Pinkston with the story of sports glory, and sketch performer Andrew Bentley with a tale of drinking hubris. We also have, of course, music from myself and Mr. Dwight Hassler. Alright guys, this is exciting. If you're listening to this podcast the month it comes out, which is July 2012, and you're in or around Chicago, you can catch a brand new four-week run of the Nerdalog sketch show at the Playground Theater, that's 3209 North Halstead in Chicago. Uh, the show is called The Skywalking Dead, and it's about something everyone seems to be talking about these days, the end of the world. It's an hour-long show of all original sketch comedy and monologues, and hey, I will be teching it, in case you are secretly, like, my biggest fan. I know you're out there. The Skywalking Dead plays every Friday at 10pm at the Playground Theater throughout July, so we hope to see you there. Uh, the next Your Stories event will be Sunday, July 15th at our usual digs, the Upstairs Gallery in Andersonville, which is of course 5219 North Clark Street. Uh, to coincide with The Skywalking Dead, the theme of that show is also the end of the world, whatever that means to you. So come on out at 7pm for a free show and tell your best end of the world story. You can get on this very podcast. Uh, just two more quick notes. As usual, there is a donate button on our homepage at yourstories.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. So if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to send a couple bucks our way to help cover things like web hosting or feeding starving artists, uh, I'm not actually starving, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, two, I want to give a special thank you to friend and frequent storyteller Sean Patrick Boyle, who helped record and produce this episode. I think you'll agree, it sounds great, and uh, he's going to keep helping out in that capacity. So, thank you so much, Sean. Now, on with the show. Alright, we'll, we'll slow it down a little. Steve, I'm going to dedicate this to you, because I feel like you're going to know this song. If, I, if our talk from a few weeks ago is legit. <laughs> if you really are in the trashy country. Blame it all in my roots I showed up in boots Ruined your black tie fair The last one to know The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise And the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne I toasted you, said honey we may be through In low places where the whiskey drowns And the beer chases my blues away And I'll be okay Yeah, I'm not big on social races Think I'll slip on down to the oasis Go, I got friends been there before Everything's alright I'll just say goodnight and I'll show myself to the door Yeah, I didn't mean to cause a big scene 
Just give me an hour and then Well, I'll be as high as that ivory tower You'll never know Cause I got friends in low places Where the whiskey drowns And the beer chases my blues away And I'll be Slip on down to the oasis, so I got friends in low places. One more time, one more time. Oh, I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. Think I'll slip on down to the oasis So I got friends in low places Oh, I got friends in low places Tonight is revelry and or drinking. So we're gonna kick it off with Nerdalogs member Steve Hirsch. What up, Steve Hirsch? Uh, I feel so honored to have that song dedicated to me. Uh, I'm gonna bring up Kevin Reeder as as my assistant, also Nerdalogs. So the the theme is is revelry and or drinking, Uh, and I'm going to talk about uh, not drinking. In college, in college, I was uh, that guy who didn't drink at all, uh, and people would often ask me at parties, uh, "Hey, are you uh, are you having a beer? Uh, do you drink at all?" And I would just say no, uh, and I would try to usually play it off as no, uh, not tonight. But eventually, people caught on that I just never, uh, <laughs> never drank, and they would again they would ask why, and uh, I didn't really have any kind of answer other than uh, I just don't. Uh, I had a few answers in my head that I didn't really want to talk about, and in retrospect, I've, I've thought of uh, a few more. I'm going to go over some of them, and Kevin's going to put them up on the board <laughs> as we go. Uh, so first of all, consistent no. Uh, it was just easier for me to always say no than to figure out when uh, I would drink and when I wouldn't. I knew I, knew I didn't want to drink a lot, and uh, uh, in high school, I gave up soda, uh, when I was uh, a, a wrestler, so I knew that I could just cut something out completely, and that was very manageable to me. So I decided to just do the same thing in college uh, with alcohol. Uh, next up, brain cells. <laughs> uh, you know, in high school health classes, you'd hear that thing about every drink kills X many brain cells, and I thought. My brain is my most valuable asset. Why would I possibly want to kill any of them? I want them all. There's no way I'm going to risk any of my brain cells. Uh, next, not drinking was an unexpected attribute. <laughs> I like being able to surprise people uh, or, or stand out in, in unexpected ways. Uh, and I, I still have that quality about me. For instance, uh, I have a motorcycle. And people, people don't expect that of me when they first meet me. And I like surprising people with that fact. And, and at parties, when pressed, I like surprising people with the fact that uh, I wouldn't drink at all. Uh, <laughs> well, you get into that conversation of, dude, we're gonna, you're going to drink tonight. Or we're going to get you drunk by the end of the year. No, you're not. <laughs> That's a, that a conversation that I could always win. <laughs> uh, again, with the consistent no. Uh, next up, taste bad. <laughs> I'm selling this for you, Steve. Uh, I appreciate it, Kevin. Especially in college, you'll hear that. Uh, it's an acquired taste. You just have to get used to it. And I thought, no, I don't. <laughs> if this tastes bad, I do not have to get used to it. That's just not a thing that I need to worry about or, or have to do at all. 
this next one's a little more complicated. Uh, cause and effect. Yes, cause and effect. In college, I was really into Ayn Rand, and that probably could oh. fill one or I said in college. <laughs> Everybody, everybody experimented in college. I experimented with objectivism. And, and one of the themes in Ayn Rand novels is this idea that people will try to uh, uh, see something that they want and skip over the thing that's supposed to get you there. So... If people want to be around friends and they want to celebrate, uh, they'll notice that that often happens around drinking. But really, the drinking should follow being around friends or having something to celebrate. Uh, But people in college, especially, will just start drinking and think, oh, I'm around friends. I've got something to celebrate because I'm drinking. Uh, And I really hated that. Uh, But that's tough to explain when someone just offers you a beer at a party. So I kind of... (laughs) Most of the time. Um... Next up, cops. <laughs> uh, at the time, I, I told myself that the fact that underage drinking is illegal wasn't really a part of my rationale. I thought and still think that the drinking age should be 19. But if I'm honest with myself, uh, the fact that it was illegal did play into my decision. Uh, along with that taste bad, it was just something that I didn't want to deal with at all. Uh, there, I didn't want that risk of um, of getting a ticket or, or getting arrested or having a fake ID. Uh, growing up, pretty much any time I would leave the house on the weekends or at night, my dad would say before I left, be smart, be safe. And I think that explains a lot about me. <laughs> uh, so yes, fear of cops. Uh, next up, worked in a bar. Yes. Uh, and in high school, I worked every weekend at the Comedy Sports Improv Theater in Milwaukee, which, like just about every improv or comedy theater, has a bar attached to it. So I got very used to being around drinking, being around drunk people, but not drinking myself because, one, I was underage, and two, I was at work. Actually, the order of those probably switches. Uh, more importantly, I was at work, so I wasn't going to, to be drinking while, while hosting or working in the ticket booth. Uh, and finally... Uh, Loss of control. Uh, This is probably the one I would be least likely to admit to in college, but this was probably the the biggest one. Being afraid that uh, drinking would be a a slippery slope to losing control either for that night or or for a longer period of time. Uh, Then and now, I like to feel like I'm in control of my life and my surroundings. and I saw a lot of people drinking and, and not having control themselves. And I was afraid of that. Um, so all of these are still more or less true about me. Uh, but I drink now. So I think there, there's something still deeper that I haven't quite figured out. Um, yes. Maybe, uh, so if you want to talk about it, we can discuss it over beers at the bar. <laughs> Cheers! Uh, I, I gotta say, man, I was I was right there with you. Like, I did not drink in college, and in fact, uh, the first like one night my sophomore year, I had a really terrible day, and I went out with my friend Diane, who was right there, and she was like, "Oh, my friend Jen is twenty one, and she'll buy you a beer." And we went to Brothers, which is a terrible bar. She bought me a Bud Light, and I did not drink again for three more years, <laughs> and I still will not drink Bud Light. Uh, up next, Sarah Schieber. So Sarah told this story at, uh, at Challengers when we did our show there, but it didn't get on the podcast because it was um, the audio was kind of bad. But I don't think most of you guys have heard this yet anyway, so it's new to you. So like Eric said, I um, first told this story at the mobile show at the comic book thing, so sorry if this is a repeat for anyone. Um... I took the theme of revelry a little bit more traditionally (laughs) in thinking about this, I guess. And what came to mind for me was the first time I met Neil Gaiman. Um, This is kind of a bit of a backstory to this, is Neil is my favorite author, 
Yes, we're on a first name basis. <laughs> um, I got started reading Sandman, and that was how I really got into Neil, and then I read his uh, novels and things like that. And sophomore year of college, I went to study abroad near Liverpool. In my mind, this, for some reason, meant, oh, I'm going to England. I'm probably going to meet Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Just like, sure. <laughs> and while I was over there, I found out he was doing a tour in America. I was super upset <laughs> because I had gone all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and he was going to be at the theater in my hometown. So here I am feeling all um, upset about this. And I find out he's also going to be at University of Manchester a month later, which is much more doable for me at that time. And it's in England, so it makes me feel like I'm cool. So, <laughs> so I decide to go. And I hadn't really been super well-versed in the trains at that time in Britain. And so I had a friend who lived in my hall with me who was like, oh, I'll go with you. I'm British. I know how it works. It'll be fine. <laughs> so the time comes, so it's time to go, and we buy our tickets and everything. And I keep knocking on his door, and he doesn't answer. And, like, an hour goes by, and I'm getting more and more antsy because it's time to go meet Neil. <laughs> and um, just as I'm just like, I can't wait anymore, he, he fell asleep. <laughs> By the way, it wasn't like he was in some sort of like accident or something happened. He just fell asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> he just wasn't answering his door, and I finally was like, that's it. I just have to go. So I kind of went and looked online really quick because I this is before Google Maps on the iPhone, which has been a great help to me <laughs> as someone who can get lost with the GPS. Uh and I went to just make sure there would be, like, a train for me to come back. And there were quite a few scheduled out of the station where I was going to be going in. So I was like, okay, that's fine. And that was enough for me. I didn't really understand the rest of the website. So <laughs> I just went and um, sort of just got on a train. I knew how to get to Liverpool. Um, managed to get out to Manchester just fine. And then did not know where to go once I got there. <laughs> So I kind of hung out a little bit in the station, um, trying to see which ways people were going. Like, if they looked like business people, they were going one way. And if they looked more like me, and like, you know, kind of college-y, I guess, they were going the other way. So I went that way (laughs) and um, managed to follow someone who I had somehow decided looked like a Neil Gaiman fan. And and she brought me right to the place. So good job for me on visual stereo. (laughs) And um, I went and got a seat and everything. And it was awesome, guys. Neil is great. Um, It turned out the same night, Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm were also at University of Manchester. I don't know if anyone knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And um, Neil had talked to them, and they decided to also, like, sing a couple songs before Neil started talking. So it was like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Whole big thing. So, and I was so excited, I brought my journal. And in case you thought I might make this up, I took notes. (laughs) <laughs> during Neil Gaiman's talk because I didn't want to forget anything he said yeah those are them I don't know what they mean anymore so it didn't work <laughs> yeah things like um, love being all over the place bright bookshops <laughs> I don't know what that means anymore <laughs> But afterwards, um, I decided to go and get in the line to like actually go and get your book signed because I was already there and it was awesome and Neil was so fantastic. So I was so like drunk on gaming, I guess, that I was not paying attention to the time at all. Um, I did end up getting to meet him and he even drew in my journal, just so you know how awesome I am, guys. <laughs> and... <laughs> After that whole thing, I was kind of in a daze, and I sort of wandered to the station, where 
it quickly became apparent to me no one had bothered to tell me the British affinity for canceling trains without telling anyone. So, oh, no. <laughs> so there were no more trains going to Liverpool that night until like 9 a.m. the next morning. And I had kind of skipped out on writing a paper in order to go oh, <laughs> to this no. thing. So I was going to possibly fail half of my grade for this class. Oh, no. And... Um, Besides that, I had no idea really where I was. I knew I was in Manchester, and like that was a place, but like, <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of like went and found like one of the train station people, and was like, "Hi, I'm American. Help me, please." <laughs> and um, he was like on his little computer, and I was like, "Where are you trying to go? I'm trying to get to Liverpool." And he kind of looks at me, and he's like, "You're never gonna make it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like terrified and he sees my face and he's so he keeps looking and he's okay there's one train it's across town at this other station but if you take a cab you can get there okay great that's a lot better than you're never gonna get there <laughs> so I go and I jump in a cab and I get to the station like the train isn't even there yet it's great I calm down um, I decide to write more about Neil Gaiman in my journal because <laughs> I'm a nerd. And um, it's really quiet. And all of a sudden, I hear all this yelling. And I look over where the entrance to the station was. And there was like this just slew of football fans just like coming and invading the platform. And like they were all um, super drunk. Which is where revelry comes in. <laughs> and um, they were just like, they were chanting, and I understand what they were saying. I think, like, it was a player's name or something, and, like, obviously something about soccer. But, whatever. <laughs> so, I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. Um, I... Does anyone know if, like, that was Manchester United? Maybe. Yeah, okay. That's my guess. On the same train you're going on? Well, not the team, just the fans. Yeah, it was probably yeah. Liverpool fans that they beat one of those jerks. I still don't actually know, like, what was going on, but I know that there was a game, and they were really excited, and, well, they were, they were English, so they were drunk, and... <laughs> Um, <laughs> we get on the um, we get on the train and it just like doesn't stop. It just keeps getting louder, and I'm like in the corner with these two other old people, and they're like, "Oh, youths," and, <laughs> and I'm like guarding my book signed by Neil Gaiman because they're basically gold, and I'm like, "Wow, this is just like complete opposite ends of the world here." And then I was thinking about it. And it actually wasn't really all that different. Um, and I wrote this part down. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> um, really, in the end, we were kind of the same. Because we were all experiencing like some sort of celebration. But instead of shouting out a series of unenunciated syllables, I was writing in a journal. <laughs> and just sort of like staring at my signatures from Neil Gaiman and my drawing from him periodically and being really excited about it. Um, but with every slurred exclamation of celebratory fervor that these folks were emitting into the general train space, um, they were kind of mirroring my own introverted feelings of joy in their own way. And I kind of thought it was nice to make that connection that even though it can be two completely different things, everyone is still just like celebrating something. And that's nice. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, if you talk to your buddy Neil, would you let him know that instead of going out last night, I stayed home to read the last two issues of Sandman and cried? Um, and if you could tell him to come to one of these, too. Yeah. Um, fun trivia. So, um, Bill Hader credits his being on SNL with the Sandman because he was reading Sandman on his flight to New York to audition for Lorne, and the character of Lucian, he was reading as, uh, oh my god, who is the... the um, like 1930s horror guy he does the talk show of Vincent Price he was reading Lucien as Vincent Price in his head and when Lauren asked him what impressions can you do Sandman's Lucien was in his head and he's like well I can do Vincent Price and that's what got him the job on SNL so yeah 
Um, so happy, everybody. I don't know where I'm pointing. Sorry. Sorry. I guess Vincent Price is more like 50s and 60s. Than yeah. It's that. <laughs> one of my favorite sketches. I think it's like one of his underrated ones <laughs> that they do. But um, well, first I'm gonna start off by um, saying I've got some good news. Uh, well, depending if you if you like hearing me talk, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I um, will be recording. Me and a good friend of mine that I do stand up with will be recording our first podcast this weekend with Kevin Reader and Eric Garneau uh, as our guest. So. Well, yeah, I, I like it. Listen to it or not, you know, it's it's your ears. Uh, um, but I was looking forward to this. Uh, I look forward to this every month. Um, originally, um, you'd proposed that the top that the topic was beer, but I guess you felt that was a very narrow topic. But I think that's kind of gone hand in hand a little bit with a lot of the stories tonight. And so um, we'll kind of go through just a small evolution of my phases of drinking. Um, I, you know, didn't really start drinking until, like, college. Um, My first experience with alcohol, I was actually eight years old, and we were at a spaghetti dinner, and I thought it was a box of water. Uh, (laughs) And I wasn't a bright kid, so it took me a couple sips to realize that it wasn't. Um, the next day when I coincidentally got the flu, I came to the immediate conclusion that clearly I'd gotten drunk last night (laughs) at the age of eight. So my alcoholism began. Um, as I got older, I mean, going through high school and everything, I was the kid that kind of like loved the dare program and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, drugs are stupid. Who needs them? Like, and so like going into high school, then as I like got older and matured and everything, it was something that just didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I didn't hate it. It was just something where it's like, I'm already kind of a crackhead. I, I don't need any kind of intoxicants. And I got addicted to Nintendo. I couldn't imagine what alcohol would do to my system. Um, but uh, it also didn't help, too, that I was dating a girl uh, through all my senior year that also didn't drink. So, you know, that was all alcohol. Yeah, forget that. Who needs it? Um, we came to Beach Week. Um, I was probably one of the few people in all of America that at, during their Beach Week probably did not have a single drop of alcohol in their system um, through that entire period. But I started to enjoy the fun of messing with, like, drunk people. I was like, you can be around it. You don't have to partake, but you can have a lot of fun. I had a friend who was a huge fan of John Carpenter's The Thing. And um, we learned that when he gets drunk, it's kind of like non-flashbacks, except for he was never really in The Thing. (laughs) But he thinks that he is. Like, we let him actually tie us up with, like, phone cords and things. We're like, let's see how far this goes. Um, He had this creepy, like, ventriloquist doll, too, that we would, like, hide throughout the house. And that was a lot of fun. Um, But I was the guy that, like, when I got to college, um, I broke up with that girl halfway through the summer. And I was still like, no, I'm still going to do it for me. I don't need to drink. That lasted all the way just until the very end of my freshman year of college. <laughs> At the very end. That guy, uh, that guy, Steve, that's like, the, we're going to get you drunk. Yeah, he got me drunk. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I remember my one of the... At some point, and this is part of the reason that, like, yeah, maybe we did need to get him drunk, is throughout the night I kept saying different things that it made me feel like... I, for a while, I was like, I feel like a robot. I feel like I'm a robot. Then somehow I picked up other classes along the way. By the end of the night, I was like a robot, ninja, cowboy, pirate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's the natural evolution of things there. Um, but then, revel- uh, to me, like the alcohol and the revelry became more like a, it took into the chaos. I had fun. You had your Animal House time, your National Lampoons, your Todd Phillips movies, your Go Wild and Crazy. And that was fun. I was like, I got to do every ridiculous, stupid thing I've seen other people do, which is a terrible idea, too. <laughs> and eventually you find yourself puking up like half a bottle of Jameson on a friend's lawn uh, and going to sleep on their ottoman. Uh, and waking up the next morning, like, why was I asleep like a cat? Uh, um, but then, you know, as I got older, too, um, it became sort of a tradition, revelry and things. Um, uh, Andrew used to host these semi-annual power hours that we would get people from all over from Virginia, from back home, from on campus. And we put together, he put together like a little slideshow. And anyone that's done a power hour, you know, you do the shot of beer every hour. And those got to be a real thing you look forward to, not just for getting crazy drunk, even though that was a natural byproduct. It was something you could look forward to. It was a sense of brotherhood. And we're like, no chicks allowed. And all the girls like, sounds kind of gay. And like, well, it is kind of gay. So, don't worry about it. 
Um, but then, you know, I graduated college and I was at home and that became like the way to let off steam where you're like, oh my God, I've got a drink. And then you're like, I can't afford to keep drinking or I'm going to live with my parents forever. And, you know, it becomes kind of sad and depressing. So you learn to drink a little more socially, you be more adult. And that's when I learned, you know, to enjoy like a glass of scotch with my dad or, you know, or just kind of have like cocktails with the family or like talk to adults. I was no longer that kid that was just like, oh, can I play video games instead? Um... <laughs> And so now, to me, revelry is something that can be just kind of like a grab bag. You never know what it's going to be, and it's a sign of adulthood. Sometimes it is, let's go back and live that college night, and that's when you realize you are no longer that Wolverine that you were three years ago, that's your healing factor. The next morning, you feel like you got hit by a freight train, and you probably only drank a quarter of what you would have back in college. Um, but to me, that's, that's what I find fascinating about it, that... That alcohol doesn't have to be about the revelry altogether. That it's time, it's fun to bring it back in every now and then. But to me now, it's about enjoying it, and it's about the companionship and the company, and that's that's what I enjoy. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, small plug: uh, Wednesday nights uh, downtown, one sixty East Grand Canteen, delicious tacos, and sometimes the comedy's good. So if you guys want to come check me out, I do stand up, and I got some friends. I'd love to see you guys out there. So thank you for your time, guys. Thank you, Sawyer. Um, I feel like I missed an opportunity to have Andrew set up a power hour for this recording. Andrew, what, why didn't we email about that? I'll talk about your mind. Oh, right. Um, we're going to maybe take a break from the revelry for just a second. Uh, my buddy Aaron Pinkston, a uh, film writer, has a story he'd like to share. He can't come in the next few months, so he's going to do this guy now. This is a story of sports glory and the subsequent downfall. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but when I was in sixth grade, I decided to join the wrestling team. I found myself pretty nostalgic of this time in my life. The working so hard at practice I had to throw up, the sweaty, stinky, damp cellar where we had our practices, the constant soundtrack of one headlight on loop as 13-year-old boys practiced half Nelsons and cradles. The the Rockfalls Junior High go Jets... (laughs) <laughs> wrestling team, uh, we weren't world beaters, but we had a good coach in Mr. McHugh and a number of perennial state finals contenders. I was not one of them. In sixth grade, I was all of four foot ten and a soft, chubby 90 pounds. I would give anything to be 90 pounds today, but believe me, it wasn't impressive. <laughs> After a hard few weeks of practice, I was not so ready for my first match. For those who don't know how wrestling works, each team has two or more representatives at each weight class, with the best of Team A usually squaring off against the best of Team B. I was a B, but only because we only had two people in my weight class. My first uh, match was pretty indicative of my amateur wrestling career. My opponent, also, of course, 90 pounds, was at least six inches taller than me, a a string bean of muscle and length. Just seconds into our match, he maneuvered into a German suplex and promptly pinned me. I was stunned. Not because I was so quickly dispatched, but for the reason that a German suplex was considered legal. (laughs) For those unaware, the German suplex is a move usually reserved for fake wrestling, where the competitor performing the move gets directly behind his opponent, hands around waist, and and hoists the other backwards over his head to slam the other onto his the audacity of this guy. (laughs) Following this match, I kept chugging along, getting pinned after getting pinned. And then, Rock Falls Junior High had their scheduled meet with Challenge Middle School from neighboring Sterling, Illinois. Rock Falls and Sterling would be what you would consider rivals. Separated only by river, it was basically one city with an unnatural division. Sterling, though, was larger, more prosperous. That was where the steel mail was located, and the Super Walmart Supercenter. <laughs> people from Sterling called people from Rock Falls greasers. People from Rock Falls called people from Sterling names I'm not allowed to share here. <laughs> it was time for my match. I was game, but expecting nothing different. But when I heard my rival, my opponent's name, 
there was a glimmer of hope. I don't remember his first name, but that's not important. You see, in wrestling, there's a term for someone who gets pinned a lot, for the image of them flopping around on their backs. They are called a fish. I was a fish. His name was Salmon. (laughs) Salmon was soft and chubby like me, though a bit taller and older looking. Still, I capitalized on our difference in skill, handily winning, uh, scoring point after point, shutting him out. A blowout in wrestling terms. He was proof that all junior high wrestling teams had an Aaron Pinkston. And I was better than Chandler, Chandler, Chandler Middle School's Aaron Pinkston. <laughs> <laughs> Directly following the win, there were giant cheers from my teammates. Cheers from my teammates' parents. The entire gymnasium filled with the din of revelry. <laughs> They all understood the significance of this win. By the reaction of the crowd, I'm sure Salmon did too. I expected popping champagne in the locker room and a celebration parade. Obviously, I didn't get those, but I was satisfied. As I've grown older, I I was a state finalist in high school speech and my high school valedictorian, but this was a true highlight of my life. In seventh grade, the seventh grade wrestling year was much like the previous, a complete imperfect record. But I had one thing on my mind. There's a sports cliche that athletes circle a date on their schedule on the calendar. It may be a a cliche, but there was a day that I circled. Challen Middle School. (laughs) The day of the meet was nerve-wracking. I had grown to a rotund 119 pounds. What if Salmon wasn't in my weight division? What if he decided to quit wrestling or was faking sickness to duck me? (laughs) Walking around the locker room And to stretch I was more nervous than I had been for any other wrestling meet Then As I came out There he was I looked at Coach McHugh He nodded It was on (laughs) Our second meeting wasn't quite like the first I quickly took Salmon down on his back And pinned him in less than two minutes Glory had returned And it was ever so sweet but the but at the beginning of the eighth grade season, I had decided I had decided I made a decision. I would go out on top. It wasn't an easy decision though, as I may have not been very good. I was competitive and I didn't like to quit. I had to hold back tears when I told Coach McCure that I uh, that I wasn't going to return to the team. He was crushed. I may have only gotten him two wins in two years, <laughs> but I was the coach's pet as shown by my two straight oil can awards for best teammate and hardest worker who wasn't good enough for real awards. <laughs> In exchange, I would act as the team's manager, helping out coach whenever he needed it and taking score and timekeeper at home meets. And then came the home meet with Challen Middle School. As I arrived to the gymnasium after school, Coach McHugh pulled me aside. Salmon wants to wrestle you. <laughs> Perhaps it was hubris, perhaps it was my competitiveness, but I instantly accepted. I hadn't worn a singlet and headgear in a year. I hadn't practiced in a year. I didn't even get weight, so I don't know if we were even in the same weight class. Really, I don't even know if this was actually legal. But it didn't matter. It was time for a taste of that sweet, sweet glory. No one on my team questioned what was going on, why I was wrestling on a day without any practice. They all seemed to know. (laughs) Finally, it was time for my match. Standing across from Salmon, I noticed he had turned into a monster. (laughs) My mirror image had spread at least six inches taller than me, now all arms and legs. Junior high wrestling doesn't test for steroids, but Salmon was a clear case for the final. <laughs> I was pinned in 43 seconds. <laughs> Steve, you were a wrestler too, right? Yeah. Were you feeling that? I was were totally you, feeling that. You were that. feeling that. You got, can we get you guys to wrestle? <laughs> 
I guess I'm the food I'll bring a wrestling story when the theme is appropriate. <laughs> Andrew Bentley, ladies and gentlemen. Hi everybody, I'm Andrew Bentley. Um, I usually write uh, things I do for this, but it seems like telling like drunk anecdotes uh, kind of seems like the appropriate time to go off the cuff. You know, I'm not Kowski <laughs> or Lowry or Hemingway anyway, so might as well uh, kind of wing it. Um, so I'll start off by explaining, I guess, that like my family has like a long and proud and storied history with drinking. Like, it's just something everybody in my family does. Uh, I remember at a very young age, my uh, Uncle Fred, uh, you know, getting drunk and setting off Roman candles and only being like halfway through the Roman candle that he realized he had it pointed the wrong way and he was firing it into his chest. Uh, um, Shirtless. uh, And this, by the way, is a man who uh, builds planes for our government. (laughs) But, uh... But yeah, and it was, there was, there was responsibility, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, spend Father's Day excoriating my dad's parenting or anything, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was kind of like a game at family reunion, they'd get, like, a, a keg of beer and the keg of birch beer, and, you know, after a certain point, the adults would, you know, pretend that they couldn't see us, you know, sneaking up to the wrong keg or whatever. But basically, this is all a, a way of getting around to the, the fact that I started drinking before I hit college. Um, and, and so I came into college, uh, with, you know, feeling like a badass, uh, and a certain amount of ridiculous pride over the fact that I had never thrown up from drinking. Um, I just absolutely proud of this, um, unreasonably so, and... (laughs) I, and I intended to keep that for as long as possible, uh, forever, you know, hopefully at that point, which seems obviously incredibly dumb now. Uh, but the, uh, I did throw up early freshman year, but I didn't, I didn't count it, uh, because it was actually because I was taking deoxycycline antibiotic, um, and you're not supposed to drink with that. Uh, but I was under 21, so the doctor didn't tell me, so I had, I had one, um, one like Captain Morgan and cider or something, and vomited all over my friend's bedspread. Um, yeah, that was the time. But I didn't count that. That was bullshit. Uh, so, but uh, Sawyer actually mentioned earlier um, thing I would do power hours, uh, and the tradition I guess as he knows it uh, would start in my freshman year. Um, towards the, the end of the year, and that was, you know, I would uh, put together 60 songs, cut down 60 songs a minute each, um, pair them each with a, a picture, and I would use pictures of people, um, everyone who was coming from out of town, power hour pictures since the last time we'd had a power hour, and it's kind of like a recap of what everyone had been up to, uh, and every time the song changed, the picture changed, we'd go around the circle, next person around the circle would raise a toast to something, you know, and we'd do the whole hour like that. Um, and before it became that, it was just a thing we would do in my friend Rob's uh, dorm room. Because I went to a dry campus. Um, so all drinking took place, you know, sequestered away outside of you know, the view of any sort of authority figure. Uh, and, and we would do these power hours. Um, I was good at making them. So it was kind of my responsibility. So normally, you know, I would do it over the course of a couple of days. Uh, but one day... Um, my friends Rob and Steve come and be like, hey, we want to do a power hour tonight. And I was like, that's fine. I just skipped class. So I, I didn't go to class. Um, and I spent the whole day, you know, had my priorities straight, making a power hour instead. Um, but because I spent all day in front of this computer doing this, from the time I got up to the time I had the power hour, I did not have anything to eat. Um, so about halfway through this power hour, I vomited. Uh, like, I ran to the bathroom, and I threw up, and everyone was like, oh, like, no, 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 no one gave a shit, but I was devastated, <laughs> like, absolutely devastated, uh, and I finished out the power hour, everything, and I slunk off in shame, like, upstairs, and I was talking to my friend, like, on, I, I guess I still use AIM at that point, yeah, I was talking to my friend on AIM, and, uh, the... <laughs> You know, and get myself more and more worked up about it. And then finally, I... Keep in mind, I'm drunk. 
uh, I decided the best way to handle this to get my you know my respect back or whatever was to go back and keep drinking harder than ever before. <laughs> so I grabbed the reserve handle of aristocrat vodka oh, yes. that I had stashed away, and I roll in burst into Rob and Steve's room and start drinking straight from the handle vodka. Um, this goes about as well as you would expect. Uh, the <laughs> I, Perhaps a, a nastier, more unpredictable side of me came out at this point. Uh, there were I had a couple good friends, like Ryan and Brandon, and then we had a friend, Chris, who I, I don't know what it was at the like. You know, but at the time he was annoying us about you know something like we didn't want to hang out with him right then or whatever, uh, and so I, I'm drinking and I get maudlin, um, and so you know I end up like kind of like a three way like dude hug like Brandon on one side and Ryan on the other like oh man we're great I love you guys or whatever and Chris uh, comes up to he kind of walks up he's got like goofy smile on his face he's like oh he's gonna join the hug and I just scream you're not welcome and kick him in the nuts. <laughs> And, and then I black out. Uh, I have not blacked out a lot in my life. Uh, I can think I could, you know, kind of paradoxically remember all the times I've blacked out. Um, I wake up on Rob's couch uh, the next morning. Now, I, I learn later uh, that I went on to, at you know, I kept drinking from the handle. Um, at some point... My friend Ryan started making fun of me for being really drunk. I mean, Ryan is a friend of mine, but also had you know a way of provoking people. Uh, normally, I would just you know grin and bear it, uh, you know, like laugh it off. Apparently, after a few minutes of this going on, uh, I put down the handle and I turned around and said, "You're gonna act like a bitch. I'm gonna treat you like a bitch," and slapped him across the face. Uh, <laughs> So, Ryan's reaction, I, again, I got this all secondhand, is like 20 seconds of just absolute shock <laughs> that that's something that happened while I pick up the handle and go back to drinking, and then he just starts wailing on my stomach, just punching the crap out of me, and my reaction to this, apparently, was to simply sit down on the sofa, still drinking, and just start cackling. Like, just lying back, getting punched in the stomach by my friend, pouring vodka down my throat, and just laughing like a madman. So, I have no memory of this, but I, I, I take this as gospel truth. Uh, but I woke up the, the next morning, uh, like I said, um, and the very first thing I did was I kind of like looked around, I was like, okay, oh, thank God. I didn't vomit. <laughs> and then I look down and realize the entire left arm of my shirt is covered in vomit. Uh, and what's more, I was so ashamed of vomiting more, uh, as my friend Rob informed me, that when I felt this coming on, uh, my reaction was to slink away on all fours and crawl under Rob's desk like a sick cat and try and vomit there underneath the desk so nobody would notice. Uh, so I, I had a fair amount of apologizing to do in the morning. Um, I have vomited many times since, uh, perhaps not ever quite so dramatically. Uh, but I think that was good for me. I think that was, you know, a unnecessary part in kind of stripping some of the, the totemry away from, from drinking and all, you know, all the ridiculous stuff we, we tie up in it uh, and realizing if you're not doing it to have a good time or, you know, for another decent reason, uh, it's probably best if you don't do it at all. <laughs> Thank you very much. Can I, can 
I say, Andrew, your story of trying not to vomit and then vomiting has kind of similar thematic implications to Aaron's story about trying to conquer that foe. I like that. <laughs> so Dwight and I thought we should sing you guys a song about kind of the, the dark side of drinking. If we haven't quite gotten there yet, we're going to get there now. So just beware, you guys. There's bad shit can happen. <laughs> Picture perfect memories scattered all around the floor. <laughs> Reaching for the phone, cause I can't find it anymore. And I wonder if I ever crossed your mind. For me, it happens all the time. It's a quarter after one. Can't stop looking at the door Wishing you'd come sweeping in the way you did before And I wonder if I ever cross your mind For me it happens all the time It's a quarter after one 